Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. We're on episode 182, Idle Hands Are the Devil's Workshop. How many times have you heard that phrase used over your lifetime? Probably more than you can count. Have you ever really thought about it, though? What in the world does it mean? Well, as we look today at 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 2, I think we're going to see a good example of what it can mean. So just just think about it. Uh, I saw something posted on social media the other day that tickled me. And it tickled me, but I knew for sure that it was true. It was a picture of an open refrigerator. And there was a sign taped in front, taped, taped inside of it. And it said something to, about closing the door. You're bored, not hungry. I don't know how many of you all get into your fridge or into the snacks when you're not hungry, but you truly are just bored. You're not focused on anything, and you just end up wandering around looking for something. That's kind of how we get ourselves in trouble, is it not? It's not that we don't walk into temptation when we are working and doing what we're supposed to. It's not, it's not that. But the thing is, when you leave your mind and heart wide open and you are not focused, and especially as believers, not focused on doing the Lord's work, which the Lord's work for a believer is supposed to be anything that we put our heart and minds and hands to, Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So there's nothing, whether it be studying for a test, whether it be counseling someone, whether it be painting a building, whatever it is that we are doing, we are supposed to do it as unto the Lord and give our whole heart. Well, we're, if we're giving our whole heart and we're doing it as unto the Lord, chances are really, really good that we are not going to be as easy of a target for the devil's schemes. But when your mind is not engaged and you have some extra time on your hands, your fingers scroll and get you in trouble. Or your mind wanders and you come up with all sorts of plans that are not what God would have for you. That's what we're going to see as we make our way through 2 Samuel 11. Now we're going to spend the next few weeks on this very familiar story in the life of David. So, so far... As we've talked about David, and we've been talking about David now for well over a year, I would think. As we've talked about David, for the majority of the time, we have seen David be exemplary. He is a man after God's own heart. He had a friendship with Jonathan that was one of those that's a once-in-a-lifetime bonding of hearts. 
We've seen him lead the Israelites in battle. We've seen him lead the Israelites in conduct. But the one area that we have seen David struggle with again and again and again is his impulse control when it comes to the opposite sex. He has a few wives and a few concubines at this time. Concubines were lesser wives. He's had too much time on his hands. And he keeps adding to his list. And we see in the story of David and Bathsheba that David, sadly, is not about the Lord's work. He's not doing what God has called him to do, and that is lead the Israelite nation. And he, he falls. I mean, there's just no other way to, way to say it. So as we make our way through this passage, this week I'm going to read the entire passage of 2 Samuel 11, just to set the stage. But we're just going to look at verses 1 through 2 this week. And our weekly assignment feature is prayerfully consider any areas of your life which are not devoted to the Lord and a prime target for Satan's schemes. If you have areas of your life that are not totally devoted to the Lord, which we all do, those are prime targets for Satan's schemes. May we learn from the example of King David that we need to be about the Father's business. And we also need to, as 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you were told that a robber was coming to your house, I could pretty much bet that you are going to be staying up and you are going to have some sort of protection, and you're going to have done everything in the world to try to make sure that your house is as impenetrable as possible. Well, we've just been given in First Peter the warning that our spiritual house is under attack from the enemy. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What would happen if you spent as much time and effort fortifying your spiritual house as you would your physical house if you knew that an attack was imminent? So let's go through Second Samuel 11, and then we will... Come back to the first two verses. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. 
And so those are the two verses we will come back to. But let's go through the rest of the story and just set the stage for our next few weeks of podcast lessons. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of the Lord and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. David arranges for Uriah's death. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king, but he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know that they were shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a report complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said, and we were chased and we chased them back to the city gate. The archers of the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Woo! What a crazy story. And this is a story from the man after God's own heart. We will talk about the steps that David walked 
into sin, not only against Uriah the Hittite, not only against Bathsheba, not only against all the people of Israel who were counting on him to lead them in the right way, but against God himself. Verses 1 and 2. What in the world can we learn by the story of David? So let's look at verses 1 and 2 and think about our own lives. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So, what do we see about David? First and foremost, David isn't where he's supposed to be. This is the time of the year when kings normally go out to war. And it doesn't say it, but we can imply from what we've been learning about David over the last few weeks, that David had risen to such a place with all the battles that the Lord had won for Israel that David didn't think that he needed to go out to war. Joab and the troops could take care of it on their own. But because David was not doing what we talked about in Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. He, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And then verse 2 says, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. Well, this verse 2 would not have occurred if David was about the Lord's work and doing what he was supposed to do. Again, when do we get ourselves into trouble? One of the many times is when we are not about the Lord's work. When we are shirking our responsibilities, when we are wasting time, and we just wander into temptation. The story of Bathsheba should never have occurred. But David made choices. David's first choice. He didn't represent Israel himself and God in the way that he should by going and leading the army forward. Number two, not only was he in the wrong place, but we see in the second part of verse 2, as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Well, there's nothing wrong for David looking out over the city. He's the king. And he notices a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, there are all sorts of different thoughts about was she being immodest was she was this culturally what would have normally happened 
uh, is this unusual, like, I don't believe from anything that I've read, it doesn't seem that Bathsheba was doing something intentionally to get the king's attention. That That's not what's happened. She's just minding her own business. Now, you do realize that architecture was different in that time, and, you know, it taking a bath was done in a, in a different manner. Bathsheba's not the one at fault here. She's just going about her daily business. And David, who is in the wrong place at the wrong time by his own wrong, own wrong choices, walks himself into temptation. Him looking out at the city is not wrong. Him catching a glimpse of Bathsheba bathing, that in itself is not where the wrong occurs. It's what we talk about next week with what he does when he catches a glimpse. We are, we're human. And we cannot live in this world and not have temptation at our door. But we don't have to move into the neighborhood. David set this up himself, not intentionally, but he wasn't where he needed to be. When having a plan to avoid temptation... We need to be wise. We know from Scripture that Satan is wise. And he spends his wisdom on figuring out ways to trick you or I. And when we walk right into it and kind of sit down at the table and said, tempt me, we are asking for nothing but trouble. I want you to think, you know, what are the areas of your life where you are not on guard? That you are not taking care of business the way you know you should. Where you have idle time. What do you do with that idle time? Well, there's a lot of good and godly things that you can do with idle time. When you have a few minutes... Have you considered praying for the people that are seated around you? Are you looking for opportunities to share what Jesus has done in your life? Or are you looking for opportunities to find some dirt on somebody else? Or to get the latest scoop? to take advantage of the moment and to say something that is not uplifting to another. You know, on social media, social media has definitely benefits, but definitely also have the bottom side of things. And so many people, I see their social media feed and I'm like, do you have anything positive to say? at all there's one particular friend and 
I just, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I'm like, is it, is this your whole life? Or is it just that you choose to put on social media something that stirs up controversy that never uplifts, never points to Christ, only points to whatever latest scandal, rumor, whatever it might be. I just don't know. Like, can we not be wise with our time? And all of us, all of us have idle time. Even if you are a busy, busy person with a whole lot of little children and a whole lot going on, you still have some downtime here and there. How do you use it? Maybe you use it to take some time and just to reflect and to, to thank God for who he is. Wouldn't that be a beautiful way to use that time? You know, if David had been using this time that he did not go to war, if he had been using it to pursue the Lord, I can just guarantee you that if he had looked out and he had seen this beautiful woman bathing, that he would have been much better prepared to have handed that image to God and said, God, that I should not have been here. I should not have seen this beautiful young lady. I pray that you bless her. I pray that you bless her marriage because more than likely she's married. I pray. I want to hand this over to you. May I not look at another woman lustfully. And then he went to pursue God with all his heart. But we all know that's not how this story goes. So first problem in this particular story is David's not where he needs to be and he's not about the Lord's business. As a result, he looks out and there is temptation in front of him. How do we handle the temptations that present themselves? First, stay away from the places. Well, really, <coughs> excuse me. Be where God wants you to be. And stay away from the places where you know there is temptation for you. I can't wait to hear what you got to say. This is something we all struggle with. Take some time, go into our Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus Facebook group and, and give us some examples of ways that you keep yourself focused and doing the Lord's work instead of allowing your hands to be idle and truly becoming a place of the devil's workshop. If you have any questions, concerns, you can email me at encouraging others in lovingjesus at gmail.com. Got some information down below in the show notes, have the verses, have links to a lot of the resources. We have the information about the hidden episodes, those first episodes of the podcast, that's in the show notes as well. 
I may have mentioned this a few weeks ago, but the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, they've changed the information for that. If you have the old numbers, they still work. But someone can just call or text 988 and you will be connected with someone who's going to be there and is going to listen. You know, I just thank you so much for tuning in. And as we walk through this time where David, instead of giving us the right way to handle temptation and to handle sin in our life, we can use the example of David to see what not to do. And I trust that we can learn from his example so that we honor the Lord with all we say, with all we do, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And just remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day. <laughs>